Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The creation and order of God is a good thing. When you think about looking back at Genesis and creation, we see this understanding that God is the creator of all things, and there's an order to his creation. He doesn't just ensue chaos when it comes to his created work, but he's deliberate as each day is ordered and recorded as such, day, such as something like the third day, for example. And there's certain things created on each day of creation, with man being the pentacle of creation. And we see that then as God created man in his own image, and then woman from the man. God's order is good, and it serves for the preservation of his creation, both in physical and spiritual things, and God attaches his blessings to it. Now the gospel reading today from John chapter 2 reveals to us this first sign or public miracle we have recorded. John's word for miracle is the word sign. And it's quite an interesting thing that where the Lord first manifested or made himself known, where he was epiphanied, was at a wedding. First we're told the setting. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. So here's Jesus, a guest, at this wedding taking care of this couple by literally changing water into wine. And notice what the master of the feast does. Where does he go to? What does he say? Well, John tells us, when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus worked the miracle, and it was the bridegroom who was commended. Now, there's something to all of this with this first miracle at a wedding, and it goes back to the order and creation of God. Here we have this example of marriage. Marriage is a godly thing, created before the fall into sin, connected to the very core order and establishment of this world. The estate of the family comes from the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. So the Lord attended this wedding here and worked a miracle for this couple, even as his blessing is attached to the institution of marriage that he has created. He shows us something of this order, both in the world and in the order and glory of the life to come, that it points to and reflects. Now, always a telltale sign in this world of something that is good is when it's attacked by sin and the devil. That's because the devil is smart. 
and he knows what God establishes and orders as good. He knows that. He knows when God does something, he wants to attack it. And not only that, but it confesses something about God, too, about who he is and what he does. So that's why oftentimes then this reading from Ephesians 5 is paired with John chapter 2, and why Ephesians 5 is such an important reading. We heard, Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So here's God's order is seen in marriage as it reflects that order of his salvation in Christ as the perfect bridegroom which makes known his glory for us. So the devil knows this and goes after it like he went after it in the Garden of Eden. The devil went to Eve first, not to Adam who was her head. He went to the weaker vessel, as scripture calls her, and attacked the order of God. It happens today as we behold what God gives and institutes as good, yet sin against it, rather than living according to God's order. Now, fundamentally, all of us see this in attempts to redefine marriage according to man's sinful desires. Clearly, that's sinful and against God's order and creation. Romans chapter 1 sees this connection with man and a woman, and when a man and a man or a woman and a woman try to join together in this marital union, he calls that idolatry, worshiping a false god. So that's something in the church that we understand and we're called by God to defend before the world, not cowering down to mobs. But also understanding God's order and creation, holding up marriage, extolling it, and honoring it, means that we also live lives according to God's order. So today, the devil, the world, and our fallen flesh want to see the roles in marriage blurred, or even just the roles of men and women women blurred altogether. Now, we might wholeheartedly agree that marriage is between a man and a woman, as we should, but then we want women to act like men or men to act like women, or maybe we want to not even use those terms at all or forbid them from being used in public discourse. You see, that's what the devil likes to do and put in the minds of men, that their honor and their glory and their worth is not found in being the head of their wife, not being Christ to them, but it's found in whatever suits their interest, like their jobs, their favorite sports team, their activities, or living up to some stereotype of what the world defines as a man who is lazy, makes noises, smells funny, and never stands up for his wife and family. Or likewise, when it comes to being Christ to his wife, a husband sins when he's not treating her like Christ treats the church. That's what a man is called to do. He's called to die. Because Christ covers the sin of his bride. He washes her clean. He presents her as his beloved before the throne of God. He doesn't hold her sin against her. He doesn't treat her as his object. No, the wife is, his, is the beloved of her husband who loves her as his own body, and he would sooner die rather than any harm spiritually, bodily, or in reputation come upon his wife. And he doesn't grumble or complain about this, but speaks well of his bride because she is his and he is hers. For to do so about his wife would be to speak ill of himself, 
To harm his wife would be, in a way, to hate his own self. In the reading, God teaches, in the same way husbands should love their wives as Christ as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So God guides husbands what is to be lived. The Christian husband loves, forgives, leads, stands firm and without fear before God and the world. That's what a Christian husband's life is supposed to look like, according to God's institution, word, and order. And the wife says amen to all of this. She doesn't listen to the world and the lies of the devil, which try to tell her that her glory is not her husband and her family. Because the world tries to tell women and Christian wives that their glory is found in the world, not in being the wife of her husband, to whom God has given to her, and in the great and glorious vocation of being a mother, if God grants that to her. Because when we look around us, the world does indeed hate women. It doesn't want them to rejoice in being women. God in 1 Corinthians, though, says, Woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So the devil and the world try to teach women that their duty is in service to the world. In reality, God's word teaches us it's the world that is in service to the family, which the woman creates, nourishes, and sustains. There was a, a meme going around a, a while ago that thinks about that that we believe a lot of this when we think that our duty as families and Christian um, parents is to raise our kids up for the betterment of society. But really, society exists for the betterment of the family. That's how God exists. Do we work to live or live to work? And so the Christian wife then doesn't resent her husband or usurp his authority, but speaks well of him. She honors him with her words and life, just as Christ speaks well of Christ and honors him with her words and life. That's always the rule of thumb when we think about God's order. As a husband, you always ask yourself, how would Christ treat us? And as a woman, you think of how would we treat Christ? So the woman's husband is her head. She goes where, she le where he leads. The body follows without grumbling or complaint. When the head goes one way and the body goes another way, bad stuff happens. But the, body, the head leads forth with that mindset, though, that it's with her good and the good of their family and mind, especially in the eternal things of God. A Christian woman, just like the church, says amen to this and gladly goes and submits and fixes her eyes on Christ. So the great gift of womanhood is being covered with honor and glory of Christ, not in a fading honor and glory of the world and its false fame. So as we think about this, as we think about creation, as we think about what God gives, as we think about the order, as we think about these estates of the church, family, and society, especially today the estate of the family, God calls us to examine our lives. He admonishes us by his mercy to conform our lives not to the patterns or order of the world, but to the perfect order and life of his word. And he calls us to teach this to our children so that they would grow and lead godly lives as well. So many of the problems in our society today we see as a result of Christians neglecting the duty to teach their children God's order. 
the proper roles, how this is all good, how we all fit together as the body of Christ and then out into the world. And that there are blessings and happiness found in what God gives, even temporal blessings. If you remember the fourth commandment, that it honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you. That when you honor your father and your mother, good things happen in your life. It's not to say that bad things won't. Because marriage is God's institution, just as the family is God's institution, but we're the sinners. We're the ones who mess stuff up. And boy, do we are good at that. But Jesus blessed that occasion, that happy occasion, in John chapter 2 today. And rather than the bridegroom, the groom, facing the embarrassment of all of his family and friends, however big the wedding was, we don't know. We just know it was a wedding, and oftentimes these things would go on for a few days. Rather than facing the embarrassment of, hey guys, we ran out of wine, sorry, party's over. Jesus gives them something new, something fresh. He gives them good wine. And so Jesus creates, he restores, he makes new. That's what he does. He makes his glory known by doing all of these things. He's the God who entered into our creation and the one who says, I am restoring and making new all that has gone amok. And the same's for you today. Jesus looks at you, you're his creation, and he creates you anew. That's what you have in your baptism. So he said that his hour had not come in John 2. It wasn't yet time for Jesus to be glorified as John teaches us his glory is found as he is lifted up upon the cross for the sin of the world and as he pays for what you owe for sin. That hour, that day, it would come, and it did come. That hour when he cried out, it is finished, when he bowed his head and breathed his last. But you see, that's because he is the bridegroom, the one who laid down his life for his body, his bride, for you. His order, his glory, it's for your redemption. He's done his duty, and he covers you with forgiveness, life, and salvation, which he has accomplished for you. He's your bridegroom who laid down his life out of love for you, and you now are covered. You're clothed with all of this as the bride of Christ, the church. So now as the beloved of God, his own beloved people, you stand before the almighty throne of God in splendor, in glory, in beauty, without any blemish, without any stain. And you're new, and you live in God's kingdom here in this world, and you seek him first as you go about your life. You live in his order in the places where he has placed you. You ask yourself those questions as you go through the Ten Commandments. Am I a husband, a wife, a father, a mother? But in general, just two, who am I as the bride of Christ? Who am I as the church, as a hearer of God's word? And we rejoice this day in the Lord, who changed water into wine. He did that. He's the Lord who's created all things, who's ordered all things, who gives you to dwell in those things in which he gives. So hear God's word and find joy in the Lord's institutions and in the estates, rejoicing in the one who is the giver of the gifts. Doesn't always mean it's easy to do. We crucify our sinful flesh, which wants otherwise. But we look to Christ. We look to him who is our head, the one who laid down his life for us on the cross, shedding his blood, and we have peace with God through faith. 
and we feast at his banquet, here as he gives us that same blood hidden in wine. And we look forward to that day to come when the wine will never run out, but will be the choicest wine poured out into our cup as we sit with our Lord and all of his saints at that never-ending feast. And that will be a glorious day, where his glory is fully made known, where we see him face to face, the day of unending glory, the day where the wine never runs out, the day where the joy is everlasting. So until that day, thanks be to God for his gifts. Thanks be to God for his order in our creation, in his order in our salvation, in his order and future redemption, the future of that glory to come. He's done wondrous things. So behold this sign, this miracle of changing water into wine. Believe in Jesus as his disciples did after they saw this happen before their very eyes. And see his glory, God and man made manifest before you today, and rejoice, now and forever.